It is Thursday, April 13th. This is Jaguars Happy Hour. And now, a guy who's willing to eat some mushrooms just to protect Princess Peach, J.P. Shadwick. Well, we're throwing back uh, to Nintendo days with Joe today. Welcome in. It's Jaguars Happy Hour. I'm J.P. Shadrick. We've got a busy hour ahead as we are two weeks to the NFL Draft. Jaguars analyst Jeff Lagerman coming up. Trevor Sekimo will uh, join us from Pro Football Focus. And we'll get his thoughts on the NFL Draft and some uh, prospects from different position groups the Jaguars might be leaning towards in the 2023 NFL Draft. We'll go around the NFL also. Jeff Lagerman joining us now, and here we are, two weeks out, Logs. What's up, man? How are we doing? I'm a little confused. I, 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 didn't, I didn't get the mushroom thing. It, it's a what? It's a, what is this reference to? You never played Nintendo, did you? Mario Brothers? There's a, I think there's a movie out now, right? Yeah, I mean, I remember my, watching my son play the Mario Kart. So, and, and is that something that's like in the game, the mushrooms and the princess? I, it's been and, a while, but yes. Okay, all right. Explain yourself, Joe. I don't. I think he. Yeah. I, you know what? I would have bet all the money in the world you would have got it, and he wouldn't have. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we had a discussion earlier about Jeremy Renner, and he has no idea. He claims he has no idea who the Avengers are. I don't watch that stuff. What? I, I don't. Yeah, I don't. You don't know the, nah, who the Avengers are. I had never heard of that guy. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. You're not. Uh, hey, you're man. not. You're not with the pop culture. I'm locked JP, in. I can tell you right now. Yeah. Let me tell you. He, he said I got to get out more. I'm like, why? Do I really have to? I don't mm, think so. No, you don't have to. But no. you know, it'd probably be good for you. Would it? Yeah. I don't know if it would. Yeah, it might be. I think I'm good. Might be sheltered. That's fine. Two weeks away. We're a week. Well, inside a week now. From the start of the off-season program. How about that? So, phase one, strength and conditioning starts officially April 17th. That's Monday. Players will come in. They'll do some uh, physicals. It's voluntary. If they show up, they can do all that. Correct. And they can start the strength and conditioning. And and here we go. It's here. Well, let me just say this. It's not like the players have been just hanging out at home and eating Cheetos in their underwear on the couch watching commercials and cartoon reruns. I mean, it's... uh, (laughs) The Avengers. Yeah, exactly. Okay. They they have been, for the most part, all of these guys are working out. And I'm talking, when I say working out, they're hardcore working out. I mean, the, the biggest gains that you make, for the most part, as a player, physically happen... Uh, from the time the season concludes, which you know can be middle of January, can be first part of February, but that February through April window is really when you can get some really, really good work in. When I say good work, as far as like strength building stuff, um, you're building Gaining mass and doing yeah all the that. mass, the size, yeah. the strength. Because once you kind of get into the football side of things, you don't you're not going to make as many gains because you're dedicating a lot of your energy towards practice and and the techniques of playing the game. You can still work on it to some extent, but you can really get after the hardcore strength and conditioning stuff in that um, February March window. As a lot of players do. I mean, most of these guys nowadays they don't quit. When the season ends, they might take a week or so and just have a little time to to kind of recover, and then after that, they're they're for the most part, working with personal trainers or personal training facilities and getting after it. 
nonstop. Of course, a couple weeks for phase one, that strength conditioning. Then a couple weeks, phase two, there is some on-field stuff, but nothing uh, against a defender or anything like that. And then phase three, OTAs, that starts May 22nd. That's only a month or so out. Yeah, and I like the way that the collective bargaining agreement has kind of made everything very standard for all the teams. And obviously there's a little distinction when you have a new coach, you're allowed a little bit extra. Uh, when you have a new uh, coach and staff. But I like the way that the NFLPA and the, and ownership has agreed upon this collective bargaining agreement, and Baselli would argue against it because he likes to see more of the practice stuff. But I like it to where it's controlled because you still have plenty of opportunity for practice with the OTAs and the mandatory mini camp. And a lot of that uh, goes throughout the month of May and into June, and then you get a little bit of a break, and you're right back at, at it again in July. It's 13 total practices from OTAs and the three-day minicamp, if you want them all. And Correct. Of course, last year, Doug Peterson said, hey, veterans, we're – yeah, we're not going to do much on the mandatory mini camp days. We're yeah, it's you know the here. coaches like to quote throw a bone to to the veteran guys, and because when one coach does it and other teams don't get it, then there are other players like I don't want to say groaning, but are a little bit uh, maybe jealous of other teams that get a little bit more time off. But it's but it's 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 great work, and it's uh, it's good to have the OTA stuff. I love it, and the uh, the Tom Coffin rule is also in place now which prohibits teams from having their OTAs and their mini camp and then starting training camp earlier than what it was designed to start. I feel like there's a few Tom Coughlin rules, that being that's one the big of one. them, right? That, that's the big one. There's probably a few. Yeah, well, you know, back in 1995, to give the quick story here, in 1995 you had your required days or your voluntary days of on-the-field activities. Uh, which is basically uh, OTAs. And then you had your, your mini camps. Well, Tom exhausted all of those. And then once we finished our last mini camp, he was handing out plane tickets, or they were handing out plane tickets, the staff were, to the players to report to Stevens Point, Wisconsin. It was actually, I think, five or six days prior to the mandatory report date. So he was essentially trying to get a, a sneak in an extra five or six days more than every other team in the league. And so the league had to come in after that season and then say, look, all right, we can't, we can't have, okay, you're allowed to have 14 days in this window and then you can start training camp. You can't start training camp earlier. So that I call that the Tom Coughlin rule. Loophole. They, they, the loophole. they closed it up. <laughs> in a hurry. Closed after it that. up. Uh, Jeff, do you buy the uh, any chemistry that's built in the off-season yeah. program? Can that carry over? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when guys spend time together, they feel obligated to perform for one another. And, uh, and that's important. Uh, a lot of times if you have guys that just come in together in August or July when training camp starts, and then you know, a lot of time they're spending that time getting to know one another, sometimes the unspoken words is, is a very strong way of communicating with guys. And so when you are alongside somebody, you know what the expectations are, you kind of get to understand some of the body language, just with a look on a face sometimes between a wide receiver and a quarterback if – Christian Kirk is looking out there and he sees Trevor and go, you know, Trevor gives him one particular kind of look. Christian's going to know it without really even, uh, I mean, he's not a lip reader or anything, but he, he can read the facial expression yeah. because they've, they spent time together before. But absolutely. And that's the, 
I think Doug Peterson, a few people talked about it at the end of the season. The next step for this offense is those little nuances and taking the next step. Well, that's that's exactly that's where it builds. Yeah, just like that. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, for example, let's say there was a route adjust on uh, there's a coverage and there's a route adjust and and Trevor kind of just gives him a, a wink and. Christian knows what that wink is because they've worked on it in the offseason together above and beyond just trying to learn the standard scheme. So, I mean, this is, you know, it, again, it's, it's, we talked about this before, but it, I call it the next level stuff. You know, when, you, when you're getting the game plan and understanding the game plan, you're at the one-on-one level. Then all of a sudden now you start going up to the 201, the 301, the 400 level and 500 level classes. And now you can really take your offense and your productivity to a new level because you have a lot of that stuff that's already been kind of worked over and gone over. And now it's understood. Now you're working on more stuff. It's like one of those uh, meme winks where it's like, yeah, hey, I'm throwing to, you know, uh, uh, throwing to you, Zay. Right. Get ready. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's those looks, man. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, and I will say this, too. A lot of times a quarterback has to learn how guys run routes. Just, just you know, for example, with Calvin Ridley. It's going to take a little time. The time that, that they can spend together this offseason, the more – you know, hitting the ground running kind of kind of a theme here when you get to the regular season because if you can spend time running the routes now, Trevor can understand how uh, he runs the routes, but also Calvin Ridley can understand how Trevor wants the routes run, how the coaching staff wants the routes run. And Trevor may know exactly where Calvin Ridley can really excel, where ball placement. I mean, things things like that. You know, you, you, can't, you can't make chemistry unless you have the time spent together, you know, the TST. If you don't have that, then it's hard to create all that chemistry. It's Jaguars Happy Hour on 1010XL AM, Jaguars.com. J.P. Shadrick, Jeff Lagerman coming up in about 10 minutes. Trevor Sekima of Pro Football Focus on the Jaguars at number 24 in the first round of the NFL draft and what could be available. Well, on draft night logs, it's the – 2023 Duval Draft Party. It's presented by Donovan Air Electric and Plumbing. Gates open at 7 o'clock. Register at jaguars.com slash official draft party. We're going to be all over it on Jaguars Media Logs. This is always a fun event. It's in the bowl at Daly's Place, and you can watch the draft on, I think, NFL Network, and there's all kind of entertainment throughout the evening. Head coach Doug Peterson is scheduled to make an appearance on stage before the pick is made at 24. So you'll get to hear from the head coach, select Jaguars players throughout the night. I think last uh, last year um, Tyson Campbell, I think, was there, right? Because There was about yeah. six or seven guys, a bunch of guys. That, that came up on stage. Which was cool to see. So you get a chance to see a bunch of the Jags. No worries. Yeah, and they interacted with the fans and everything. It was awesome. cool. So uh, Jags Radio will be there. We'll, uh, we'll have all night long the Jags Draft Radio Show. And of course, Jaguars.com uh, coverage after every pick throughout the weekend. And yeah, you need to register now because that's going to be a fun night, Logs. Well, the good thing, I guess you could say, is that uh, the party's going to last a little bit longer this year. Yeah, right. Exactly. Well, because we're not going to have the first pick and then it's over. <laughs> you know, that's so right. I mean, that that's a good thing about it. And and so now you can actually, and, you know, and there's a lot of excitement building towards what's going to happen at the beginning of the draft with the quarterbacks. And there's a couple teams in the Jaguars division that uh, we'll be watching very closely. So there's a lot of reasons to come out. And it's also going to be good for beer sales and everything else there because the Jaguars are not picking early. 
about last year? Yeah, party's over, first pick. Okay, wait. The Jags traded back into the first round. A lot of oh, people were already gone. It was, it was closed. <laughs> like we had to do the update in an empty place. Yeah, like, we, we had a had a pretty good idea uh, that the Jaguars could trade back into round one to make another pick, and they ended up doing that and and getting Devin Lloyd and. And by that time, a lot of people were like, oh, they had already headed out. But Which Devin pick Lloyd, was that, 26, 24, 27? I don't late, remember exactly. It's close to where the Jaguars are going to be now, yeah. two weeks from now. So that's the time of night it's going to be. Pretty late. Yeah, it's, I think it's going to be an interesting draft just from the quarterback standpoint because, you know, you got uh, you know the two, the two quarterbacks at the top, which are going to be Young and then uh, uh, Bryce Young and Stroud. Those two guys are going to go one-two. I don't know how exact order I would pick Stroud if I had the first pick, but Bryce Young, your guy at Alabama, is, uh, is my an guy. exceptional. Why do you keep saying my well, guy? He's an Alabama guy. I, I went there 20 years ago. Yeah, you're JP. You are an Alabama guy, and and don't act like you're not. I, mean, okay. I went there. I'm not. I, I, I know, but you could you could sit there and get, give me the uh, the entire life history of Bryce Young. No, I couldn't do that. You probably could. You could, but you're an Alabama guy, so I know he's your guy. But my point is, is that at the top of the draft, it's going to be, I think, very interesting with the one-two quarterbacks because it's going to go one-two. I'm pretty sure. I don't know exact order. Mm. But then, then all of a sudden is the interesting question: is what's going to happen with the other three quarterbacks that are viewed as can't miss first-round picks? You know, Anthony Richardson, the guy that's got all this immense talent, who's a great athlete. You know, kind of the rebirth of Cam Newton. Uh, what's going to happen with Levis, the Kentucky quarterback, or Hendon Hooker, the quarterback from Tennessee? I mean, it's it's going to be interesting. When we come back, we'll hear from somebody who talks about this on a daily basis. Pro football focus, Trevor Sikema. We'll get his thoughts at the top of the draft, what the Jaguars could do at 24. Calling all Jaguars fans, elevate your game day experience with Vine 04 Napa Valley, the official wine club of the Jaguars. Sip on handcrafted Napa Valley wines. And show your team pride with every pour. Visit vine04.com and sign up to receive three or six premium Napa Valley wine bottles twice a year, along with exclusive access to private events and complimentary tastings. Join the Vine 04 Club today and toast to the Jags' legacy with every sip. Pro Football Focus host and analyst Trevor Sikama explains the Jags' options at number 24. That's next on Jaguars Happy Hour. Jacksonville Sports Talk for Jacksonville sports fans. 1010XL, home of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Welcome back. It's Jaguars Happy Hour. It is Thursday, two weeks to the NFL Draft. J.P. Shadrick, Jeff Lagerman, glad you're along with us. David Cho, Brent Reber on the video side, Joe Fortunato on the audio. Two weeks to the draft. That means it is prime time for our guest tonight, host and analyst for Pro Football Focus, Trevor Sikama joining us now. Good to talk to you again, Trevor. And boy, I don't know if you're you know excited for this thing to finally get here or to be over or or is this this is your wheelhouse right now, right? Uh, it's a good mix of both. I appreciate you guys having me on. Always always fun to talk ball with you guys. But yeah, it's 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 a good mix of both. Whenever you get into the month of April, you definitely can't wait for it to be over. But at the same time. Getting to do stuff like this and talk about the possibilities of what is the upcoming NFL draft, that's the fun part. So I definitely enjoy it along the way, no matter where we are in the process. 
Trevor, the uh, the intrigue at the top of the draft with uh, really the four big quarterbacks with Stroud and Young and Levis and Richardson, uh, where do you think that uh, these kind of cards are going to fall at the top of the draft? Yeah, I, th- I think Bryce is going to go number one. You know, I felt like it was – very interesting that Carolina immediately trades up to number one overall. And then we hear about all the other quarterbacks. Oh, they could be in on Stroud. Oh, they're, they're going to love Anthony Richardson's potential. Oh, maybe some people in the building love Levis. Nobody was talking about Bryce. And I think it's because we were bored. And I really do think that when it's all said and done, Bryce Young is going to be the number one quarterback and the number one pick in this draft. I don't think that CJ Stroud and Anthony Richardson are going to be too far behind. I think those guys are destined for the top five as well as for Richardson or as for Levis I think his range is anywhere from you know number seven with the Las Vegas Raiders all the way through the top 20 you know who knows eventually where he is going to go but I do think all four of these guys are going to come off the board somewhere within the top 20 we'll just have to see how in on this quarterback class the rest of the league really is I think it's always interesting and that sometimes a lot of draft people want to try to predict the pick so they want to kind of figure out exactly what Carolina is doing. But Trevor, if you were picking number one overall, which quarterback would you pick? Ah. I would still be taking Bryce. And and I've been standing on this table the whole time. I really would. I this guy has been too good over the last two years for me to not pick him. You look at the other quarterbacks and they've all got their pros and cons. And of course Bryce does as well, but you know, his cons are all right, he's not as big as you want for the position. And the biggest con with Bryce Young in his scouting report is well, is he going to get hurt? I'm not going to let myself pass on the best player in college football over the last couple of years on an if. I mean, anybody can get hurt in this league. It, it is the biggest, fastest athletes that we have in the world that come together in the NFL. And anybody can get hurt any given play, any given Sunday. So I understand that it is a concern with his durability and where his weight is, where his height is. But, man, the height didn't seem to be an issue because when you look at smaller quarterbacks, you say, all right, they can't see over the line of scrimmage. They can't attack the middle of the field consistently. Bryce Young absolutely did that. So the only thing on his scouting report that I think is that negative is that big, oh, is he going to get hurt? That's not enough for me to pass on him as the top choice in this class. So even if it was a what-I-would-do situation, I'd be taking Bryce Young. Trevor Sickerman with us, Pro Football Focus. Give him a follow at Tampa Bay Trey, T-R-E, on Twitter. Well, fortunately... Trevor, the Jaguars have a Trevor in the backfield at quarterback. They don't have to worry about the top of the draft this year. Two years in a row, the number one overall pick this year, a much different feel at 24th overall. So, you know, how deep does the blue chip first round talent actually go? Some years it's deeper than others. Where does it stand this year in your opinion? Man, in terms of blue chip prospects, which are those guys at the very top who Look, the the NFL draft is never any sort of guarantee, but it's the guys who you think would be NFL draft or bust proof. Jalen Carter, Will Anderson, and Bijan Robinson have the tape that it feels like it tells you they are impactful enough, they are talented enough to earn that blue chip label. After that, I think there's a decent amount of first-round grades, but still, they all come with their pros and cons. This doesn't seem to be the deepest class in the NFL when it comes to those first-round grades. I wonder if teams across the league are going to have an average of Uh, somewhere around 20, whereas in other years you can get a lot closer to that 30, 35 number when it's really rich classes. And so I would say that the first-round grades are probably going to be a little bit less this year, but that doesn't mean there's still not going to be some damn good defensive players, specifically on defense, I should say, that you can get in the back half of the first round, early part of the second round, because that's what it feels like the, uh, the sweet spot is for a lot of these guys. 
Well, it may not be a deep class for potential first-round grades, but Trevor, the one position that seems to be incredibly deep is the cornerback position, which that's a position yes. of need for the Jaguars. Who might be available for the Jaguars at their pick? Yeah, so it's a great year to need a corner. I think of all shapes and sizes. It's a great year to need outside corners. It's a great year to need nickel corners because you got a wide variety of guys to choose from. I mean, I think the guys at the top – Jags probably won't have their chance to get guys like Devon Witherspoon, guys like Christian Gonzalez. I would say Joey Porter Jr. and even Devontae Banks are probably going to be off the board by the time that they pick. But if you want to take a chance on a guy like Emmanuel Forbes in the first round, he's an outside corner that could be very intriguing. But when it comes to that slot options, and that feels like that's what Jacksonville might need immediately on this roster— Man, there's a lot of different guys to choose from. Brian Branch feels like the easy home run pick for the Jags if they can get him. About as reliable as they come. Comes from that Nick Saban defense at Alabama. Had so much responsibility in the slot. Played it very smart. I think the combine's freaking people out a little bit because he didn't test as well as we thought he was going to. Trust the tape on Brian Branch. He's going to be incredible in the NFL. I fully believe that. You've also got guys like Clark Phillips, uh, a corner who's a little bit smaller, feisty, but you love him as a potential slot guy. Uh, another safety in Antonio Johnson from Texas A&M, who's a bigger-bodied guy, can line up against those tight ends and big-bodied wide receivers. Teams love to put as the wide receiver two or wide receiver three to the inside of the formation. There's just a lot of different guys to choose from at the slot. So even if Jags fans out there might really want a corner, and they start seeing guys run on corners early in the draft, it's okay. You can still get one at the back end of the first round that's really going to help out your secondary. How concerned are you with Emmanuel Forbes of Mississippi State and his slight frame, let's say? What is he, a buck 70? Yeah, I mean, he's a buck 70, I feel like, on a good day at this point. There's no <laughs> doubt about it that he's got to get bigger. I mean, he's a great natural athlete. He's got a baseball background. It's just He's played multiple sports, and nobody's really had better ball production than him over the last couple of years. Now, of course, we know that interceptions aren't always just on the cornerback. Sometimes it's right place, right time. And that did happen plenty in Emmanuel Forbes tape, but he's feisty. He never backs down. And, and sure, in run defense, you say, hey, I wish he had a little bit more strength, but it's not like a lack of willingness for him when it comes to making those plays on the ball or at least being around the ball. You got to get him up into the at least mid 70s, try to get up in, in the 180 range because that's really what it feels like he's going to need to survive. You can't really play this guy on the outside against press coverage because these NFL receivers, they're just too big and too fast. I'm afraid he's just going to get bullied at the line of scrimmage and at the catch point, and that's going to neutralize a lot of good things that he that he brings to the table. He's a really athletic dude. His recovery speed is some of the best in this class, and he's got the longer arms to really be able to affect those catch points and get forced in completions. So, there's good things about Forbes, but to your point, there's no doubt about it. The weight is an issue, and I do think we got to get that up a little bit if he's going to uh, be able to achieve what he wants to at the NFL level. And there's a lot of philosophies when it comes to kind of putting your, your plan together as far as drafting. And one of the plans that most teams may take, because the corner class is deep, they may choose to wait and try to get one later on. Offensive line, the big guys are always kind of few and far between. How does the offensive line class look for a Jaguar possibility of them picking one there at 24? Yeah, I think that this is certainly, if, if, if they want an offensive tackle, there is a decent chance that they could get a good one there in, in the mid-20s because for a long time we've been talking about these big three with offensive tackle, Peter Skaronsky, Paris Johnson Jr., and Broderick Jones. I would expand it to a big five. 
I really think that you can you could throw Darnell Wright in there and you can throw Anton Harrison in there as well. Both of those players talented enough to be early starters in the NFL. They both got experience. They're both battle tested. And I think that that creates a big five of offensive tackles that we could all see go in the first round. And maybe there'll be a super early run like we saw a couple of years ago with the Jedrick Wills and Andrew Thomas, Tristan Wurst, Mekhi Becton class. But there's still a chance. I think one of those guys could be available for the Jags. So you're losing Juwan Taylor. You might want to replace him. I know they got Walker a little, but if you want to get some more offensive tackle talent in there, they could definitely hit that in the first round. I think that's possible. If it's down to Darnell Wright of Tennessee and Dewan Jones of Ohio State, which way would you lean? Oh, man, I, I would easily be putting in the card for Darnell Wright. He is one of my favorite players in this class. I've got him as the second-rated offensive tackle in this class, so he's OT2 on my board. I, I just feel like he's a five-star recruit, so he's got that athletic background, that high pedigree coming into Tennessee. He was so battle-tested this past year against some of the best pass rushers in the SEC, B.J. Ojolari, Will Anderson, and the list could go on and on. He is a big mean offensive tackle who loves to take the fight to the pass rushers that are coming at him. He is the embodiment of the phrase that you hear all the time, that pass protection isn't passive. He'll, yeah, get into his kick slide a little bit, but if you're taking a little while, if you're trying to get too many steps of steam to convert that speed to power, he'll stick his arm out, he'll punch you right in the chest, and he'll make sure that you, that, uh, that, that you feel him very early and often. So I just feel like his demeanor, his mentality, his anchor ability – and also how well he moves his feet when he wants to. He feels like the total packaged offensive tackle. So I, I got him at OT2 in this class. You get him in the 20s, that's a steal to me. Jalen Carter is kind of a big question mark in this draft, Trevor. And uh, where do you see him going? A little question about his background, but I don't think there's any question about his talent. No, on the field, again, blue chip player. I mean, there's just not many who can disrupt from the three technique position that, that he can't, that, that he does. And so... When you look at where he's going to go in this draft, I think the over right now, over under right now, depending on where you look, it's around six and a half, seven and a half. I think that's right because right before six and a half, you get the Lions sitting at six, you get the Seahawks sitting at five, and just after that, you got a handful of teams. Atlanta sitting there at eight, certainly Philadelphia sitting there at uh, at ten, Chicago at nine, Tennessee at eleven. All of these teams would want a player like Jalen Carter. So I feel like that range is about correct. You'll say the top 12, no matter what, it feels like a lock unless we learn something else about some off-the-field things with Jalen Carter. But as of right now, I would tell you, I still believe he's going to be a top eight pick. I still feel as though one of the Detroit Lions and the Seattle Seahawks at five or six are going to be the ones to pull the trigger on. Boy, can you imagine Detroit fans having Aiden Hutchinson <laughs> wow. last year and then Jalen Carter this year? I mean, an outside guy, an inside guy. Holy cow, would they be happy. Dangerous. Yeah. yeah. Dangerous. And it's not just them either. You got Aleem McNeil on that defensive line. You got James Houston, who's going crazy with the sacks last year as well. Yep. So that makes one hell of a pass rush group. They can add Carter to that, no doubt They're about it. They're not on the schedule next year, are they? Lions? <laughs> I don't think so. Didn't go so well in Detroit. <laughs> no, it didn't last year, for sure. Hey, Trevor Second with Pro Football Focus. What do you guys have the next couple weeks leading into the draft? Oh, PFL. man, we got all sorts of good stuff. Of course, the final mock drafts, the final big boards, our final predictions. And as we learn about what we think is going to happen on draft day, we're letting everybody know over at PFF.com and on our pod podcast show as well, the NFL Stock Exchange Podcast. Give him a follow at Tampa Bay Trey. If you don't, I don't know why you don't. He's a fantastic follow on Twitter, and you guys do a great job at Pro Football Focus. Thanks for the time, Trevor. Appreciate it, guys. Anytime. Trevor Sikama, PFF.
joining us, getting ready for the draft. And that's a good visit right there. Well, first of all, he's he's uh, you can tell that he studied and he pays attention and he follows everything. But uh, but most importantly, PFF's website is uh, I was telling you earlier when when I watch college film on one particular guy, for example, I was watching Hendon Hooker and they're playing the uh, uh uh, Alabama, and so I said, okay, let me see who is on Alabama's the draftable grades. And so you pull up the guys on defense, and with PFF, you can actually go to the school and and say, okay, Alabama, and it will list exactly every draftable guy and where their ranking is on the draft and the position and the breakdown. So when I watch the film, and of course with Alabama, it's kind of ridiculous, JP, because when you watch their yeah. defense, there's like, like eight all, guys that have a them. draftable grade. And next year, the rest of them. But yeah. PFF's got a great a great website. Uh, their draft analysis stuff is really nice for, for reference stuff. You can pick best available player, all positions. You can narrow it down to single positions. Uh, they got a, a really user-friendly website if people are interested in checking it out and being kind of a little bit of a draft nick. I strongly recommend PFF's draft uh, website. I strongly recommend dailiesplace.com. That's where you can get tickets and a full list – of shows coming up, and it starts tomorrow. Kenny Chesney at Daly's Place. Packed house expected tomorrow night. And Daly's Place has something for everyone. Old Dominion, Tedeschi Trucks Band, Yellow Card, Wu-Tang Clan, and much, much more on the schedule. Visit dailysplace.com and check it out. In a moment, Lagerman, you've been grinding in the film room, it sounds like. Cornerbacks. We'll get into which defensive back could be best. That's next on Jaguars Happy Hour. station that the Jaguars listen to, 1010XL, home of the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yep. I can see my, I, I, I see my name in there. <laughs> oh, yeah, there it is. That's funny as hell. I'm over there looking, my name is right on the down. <laughs> That's dope. Love that. <laughs> I really love that. I see that from the road. I see that from the highway, from the bridge. Really is here, no doubt. <laughs> that is Calvin Ridley on the hunt. Available now on the Jaguars YouTube page and Jaguars.com. Episode one of the offseason is up, and it's a, what, 13 minutes or so? Uh, really in-depth at the NFL Scouting Combine with GM Trent Baalke, head coach Doug Peterson, and the process of getting the offseason started, including... Calvin Ridley being reinstated and arriving in Jacksonville. And as you heard, seeing his name on the video board for the first time really got to him. He said he's going to send a picture to his mom. Pretty Pretty cool. cool. Yeah, it's pretty cool. And uh, he's already uh, jumped right on the number zero. He was, I think, the first one in the league. Like when the rule changed, like 10 minutes later, Jaguars social media, by the way, congratulations to them, really putting it all together. The digital side, everybody made it work. And he was the first one. Boom, he's out, number zero. The uh, the equipment guy should have put it out to bid. (laughs) Could have have a little little side kitty. I guarantee you they would have raised a lot of good money for charity if they said, okay, guys, number zero is now available. We're taking bits, and the proceeds are going to go to the Jaguars Foundation. Oh, yeah. See? Right? That would have been a great idea. I thought you were insinuating that the equipment staff was going to keep it all. 
all the oh, money. Oh, 50-50 split. <laughs> Go to the yeah, Jags it's, Equipment it's, it's Fund. It's like a 50-50 <laughs> raffle like the Jaguars Foundation does on game day. No, those guys. 50% goes to the guys in the equipment room. 50% goes oh, to the foundation. That, that's how it will work. Okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm trying to help the guys out in the equipment well, maybe room Well, maybe, maybe Calvin was like, here's the money. I'm doing it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. know. But, knows? I mean, they should have put it out for a bit. Excited to hear from I mean, Calvin Ridley, not? by the way. We haven't. Uh, um, I'm Bucky excited Brooks, to see him. Bucky Brooks had the conversation with him when he arrived, and uh, he has not spoken with the media yet here in Jacksonville. I think they're expected to have some media time maybe next week, and I think Calvin might be one of those guys. Oh, I'm sure he will, and and I'm sure he's excited to get back to work and kind of put everything kind of behind him and and focus in on the future. But yeah, you know, look, he's been a he's been a wonderful player, and his work ethic from what everybody's. You know, tells me is that it's outstanding, and that's that's a real positive. And he's been a, a top level player. He's a number one type wide receiver, and with the Jaguars' current wide receiving core and the tight end, I mean, look, this could be a great situation. And Trevor would have a whole array of weapons to choose from, and that's exactly what you want for a young, talented quarterback. I'm gonna um, kind of go off the cuff here and. A little trivia for you, Log. See if you're good at NFL history, offensive history. Okay. The last NFL team with three offensive players over 1,000 receiving yards. Um, that's a great question. Hmm. I, I don't know. 2008 Arizona Cardinals. Was Larry. And, that's right. And they were the fifth all-time to do it. There's okay. only been five. The uh, did the Redskins when they had the fun bunch yes, do it? Yes, 1989. That's what I thought. And the Cardinals, and I'm trying to think who the other wide receivers were. It was Larry Fitzgerald, Anquan Bolden, Anquan Bolden, Steve yeah. Breston had just over a thousand yards. Preston, Breston, Breston, B R E A S T O N. Who were the other teams? 1980, San Diego, Kellen Winslow, oh, John yeah. Jefferson, Charlie Jones. That was actually a tight end and two wide receivers. That's right. Yep. So, okay. so that's why I said three offensive yep. options. Yep. Right? yep, yep, yep. What else you got? Uh, 89, Washington, Art Monk, mm-hmm. Ricky Sanders, Gary Clark. Mm-hmm. 95, Atlanta, Eric Metcalf, Terrence Mathis, Bert Emanuel. And that was uh, Jerry Glanville and what did they call that? There was the No, it was June Jones. What did they call that offense? Oh, gosh. It was the – Running gun, it wasn't running. It was, I don't remember. It was they had a name for that type of offense, but I, I can't remember what it was called. Oh four, Indy, Marvin Harrison, Reggie Wayne, Brandon Stokely. Stokely, yeah, okay, that? yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a good. We'll one see there. if the Jags can add to that. Yeah, well, no, be, look, why not? Uh, it's all about the wins. It's not about having three guys at a thousand yards. And so, if you win, <laughs> right. every, yeah. everybody's happy. You could run the ball seven million times. Who cares? Just win. Did any of those teams win the Super Bowl? Did eighty eighty nine Redskins win the Super Bowl? Was that was that one of their three? Uh, it might might have been. Might have been. I don't remember. Run and shoot. It was a run and no. Run and shoot. No, that was Houston. No, I, I, I can't remember what. It was. Either way, all right. Hey, let's uh, transition now on Jaguars Happy Hour. Ten Ten XL AM. Jaguars dot com. Jags social media. J.P. Shadrick, Jeff Lagerman. It's draft time. We're two weeks away, and we're doing a week-by-week positional breakdown. Last well, week it at... was the quarterback's logs. This right. week we're going to defense. We talked a little with Trevor Sikama a moment ago of Pro Football Focus about the cornerback position. 
it's a position of need for the Jags. Well, it really is, and and watching these guys because everybody's saying that that's one of the deepest drafts that there has been in, in recent memory when it comes to that position cornerback. The two guys at the top, I think you can put them one, two, and flip them and go two, one. It doesn't matter. These guys are really good, and it's Witherspoon from Illinois who is a little bit smaller player, but this guy, I love him, plays hard. He plays the nickel extremely well. He's an excellent blitzer. He's physical. He is uh, uh, controlled violence, and he also can make plays on the ball. And, and this is a guy that I think changes the culture just because of the way he plays the game. Love him. Uh, the other one right there at the top with him, is Christian Gonzalez. Gonzalez from Oregon, and he's very he's a young player now. He's 20 years old, but he's got the height. He's got the size. He's got the hips. He is fluid. He's got excellent ball skills. This guy can play man. I think he can even get better with some of his press coverage, but this guy can, can play. If there was one of those two that I had to pick with the more upside, I would probably pick Gonzalez just because he's younger. He's got the natural hips, and I think he's got better shutdown ability. But Witherspoon is just such a dynamite package of energy. I think he's right there at the top, and he's one of those guys that you'd be willing to bet on just because he's kind of a can't-miss prospect. Uh, the next guy that I would put on that list has a famous last name. He certainly does. NFL bloodlines for Joey Porter Jr. Hey, guess what? He's the son of Joey Porter Sr. Who was a really good football player <laughs> right. for the Pittsburgh Steelers. Imagine that. But he didn't play corner. No. Okay. Far from it. Porter is interesting. Uh, Nitt Nittany Lion. He is very long. He's a 6'3-ish guy. He doesn't have what I would call – Quick change of direction. He's more of a long – he plays excellent press coverage. I don't think there's anybody in the draft that's better at getting up in a receiver's face and playing press coverage man than Porter. He's outstanding from that aspect. But there are some areas that he could probably work on and be a little bit better at. One of them is the physical nature of the game. He does miss some tackles. He doesn't have that short area quickness. And sometimes uh, in zone coverage, he's not quick enough to react uh, but the man coverage is where he really excels. And he's uh, he's got the height, he's got the length, he's got the speed. He can make plays on the ball, but his ball skills are not that of Gonzalez, I don't think. But, uh, but nonetheless, this is a guy that uh, was raised in an NFL home, essentially. So uh, I think he's going to also have the mindset to be able to handle the NFL. Now the next guy is a little different, and that's uh, Deontay Banks at Maryland. This is a guy that's real physical, and I think he's got to learn to tone it down a little bit because sometimes he's a little bit overly physical, but he does a really good job of mirroring guys. I think he's a nice combination of a guy that could play some man in some zone. What do you mean overly physical? Why is that bad? Well, in the NFL, they'll call a lot of flags. In college, they don't, quite, they don't call quite as much, uh, in my opinion. In the NFL, he's going to get a lot of interference calls of the way he plays the game because he's a hands-on type of defensive back, and that works to an extent. But you can't rely on that, and I think he's a little bit too much. Uh, but he's still a, an excellent prospect. He, I think he's a dynamite player, and uh, he's physical, but he's not of the caliber of Witherspoon from Illinois. Witherspoon from Illinois is like on a whole nother level of physicality and his ability to blitz. 
And uh, but I but I like him. I think he's going to be a, a, a really high quality player in this league. Uh, the next guy is Cam Smith, who happened to be in for a visit with the Jaguars this week. About the reports that. That's right. were reports say sources say South Carolina guy, uh, kind of got all the measurables. He's uh, physical. He's fast. You know, most of these cornerbacks, if you're not running four four, you're not playing corner anymore. You know, you're going to be playing safety. But he's got uh, all of the measurables. He's got the broad jump. He's got the numbers from interceptions. And I think he's just a good, solid, safe prospect. Uh, does he have great ball skills? He's got he's got really good ball skills. He's kind of got one of those. If you had to say what's the great thing that he does, I would just say across the board in every category, this guy does well. I don't think he is exceptional in any one category. You know, like with Porter, it's the bump. With Witherspoon, it's the ball skills, the hips. With uh, with or excuse me, that's. Uh, Gonzalez with Witherspoon, it's the physical nature of the game. But uh, I really like the way that Cam Smith plays the game. And then the last guy that I'll mention here is he's a teeny guy. Yeah, we, we mentioned okay. that with Trevor Sikama a moment ago, this, the size of Emmanuel Forbes of Mississippi State. He might be – no, I, I'll go I'll so far as say that. He's got the best ball skills, I think, of any cornerback in the draft. Six career interceptions returned for a touchdown at Mississippi State. That's an FBS career record. This guy, I'm just telling you, he's like a little gnat that can flat out fly. I mean, he's he probably they report him at like 166. And Trevor earlier was talking about you know, 170, maybe. You guys were talking about that mm-hmm. 170 number. I don't think he's at 170. I mean, he is. I mean, he's pencil thin. He ran a four three five forty at the combine. He can roll. Yeah. Okay. He can play man. He's got excellent ball skills. Once he gets his hands on it, I mean, he's he is an offensive weapon. Does and I didn't even look at at his film, and I don't know if he does or not. Does he return punts? I mean, this is a guy that when he intercepts the ball. This is a hold hold your breath guy, kind of like Deion Sanders when he's got his hands on the ball because he could do things with it. But he's a, an excellent player. Can he get a little bit bigger? You know, everybody always likes to forecast and say, yeah, he can put on a few pounds, be a little bit more physical. But look, if uh, if he can still play at a high level, 170 pounds, I mean, that'll be fine. You know, a lot of times they don't expect corners to, to be like Witherspoon and be blitzing off the edge and hammering guys in the backfield. But – I like Emmanuel Forbes, and I think the team that gets him is going to be incredibly happy, and they're going to be amazed at some of the things that he can do as far as attacking the ball because the guys that make plays on the ball, those are the guys that change the game. We'll see if the Jaguars are in play at 24 at quarter or cornerback, excuse me, not quarterback, corner defensive back. Defensive back for the Jags, 24th overall. We'll see what happens two weeks from tonight. Whether you need air, electric, or plumbing service, Donovan is always a good call. They've been trusted by their customers for almost 40 years. So trust them to deliver fast, reliable service to your home. Reports of an agreement to sell the Washington Commanders. That's next on Around the NFL, and this is Jaguars Happy Hour. and Fat Tony. Jaguars today. All Jaguars, all NFL, all the time. 10 to noon weekdays on 1010XL.
Welcome back, Jaguars Happy Hour. If you're watching us on Jaguars.com and Jaguars social media, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, thank you, first of all. And it's a live look outside at the Miller Electric Center construction project. We are closing in on the June 30th, handing over the keys to the Jags. The uh, the grading and the everything in the field looks like it's underway. And next up will be grass. And then the building will be finished, and then the Jags will move in there. And they'll have training camp there. I did notice that they're hanging drywall, so that's, uh, that's a good thing. They're, they're moving right along. By the way, the offseason program and OTA practices will be held on the game field inside the stadium as they were um, last year. Obviously, when this was under construction, the, the practice fields will not be ready yet for the offseason program. They, we are told, will be ready for training camp in July. I wonder how they're going to do that. Will they seed it? Will they bring in rolls, rolls. Of, of grass, sod? My guess is they'll probably – I would guess the rolls. Yeah, probably roll it. Yeah. And it's going to be, as I understood it when I was out there the other week, a completely flat surface, no crowns. Well, great drainage. Right. Yeah, they, and they they've got the, built-in drainage underneath that allows right. them to not have a crown, which mm-hmm. uh, years ago the best, the best field I ever played on was in Baltimore – and it was a hybrid natural grass that was mixed with artificial and they had a great drainage system. The stadium itself was in total disrepair because it was when oh, Memorial left. Stadium? Yeah, Cleveland left yeah. Uh, Cleveland or the Ravens left Cleveland Cleveland yeah. came to Baltimore and so while the new stadium was being built they were playing at Memorial. But the playing surface itself was the best I ever played on in my entire career. Wow. It was unbelievable. It was flat, great drainage, it was fast. It uh, had great traction, and I don't I don't know exactly what that surface was called, but it was the best I ever played on. How about that? Mm-hmm. Whereas a lot of the fields that played on earlier in the career, they had that noticeable crown, and as a, a defensive end, a lot of times you felt like you were running uphill because you, know, you literally you, were. You were, you know, <laughs> to right. some extent. And uh, Tampa had a field uh, at the old. Uh, Ball field that they what was it called back then? Oh, uh, you're talking about the sombrero. Sombrero, and then even uh, the sombrero was like a huge crown, because you know all the Florida rains, and I guess they didn't have the built-in system to be able to handle the drainage. Well, this has it, and they can you know change the orientation of the fields and keep the the grass growing, and fresh, the all that stuff. Yeah, rotate it so Which you don't get the same ruts in the same spot. A lot of great men and women doing work over there on the construction project, too. And uh, the finish line is in sight for sure. Let's go around the NFL and a report from Sportico today that Dan Snyder has apparently reached an agreement in principle to sell the commanders for $6 billion to a group led by Philadelphia 76ers owner Josh Harris, billionaire Mitchell Rails. And former Lakers star Magic Johnson, it would be the highest price ever paid for a sports team, overtaking the $4.6 billion that was paid for the Broncos last year. Well, and if you look at price comparison, the Walmart family did a lot better than uh, this, this little purchase here in Washington because Denver has a great stadium situation. The Washington Commanders still have to figure out the stadium situation moving forward into the future. Many people expected Jeff Bezos, the founder and owner of Amazon, to get involved with the bidding process, and reports are now that he will not be in the process at all. 
So I think Daniel Snyder was hoping maybe that he would get involved here towards the end and would push the price up even higher. But it's a lot of money to pay for an NFL franchise, but here's the reality. The values just keep going up. Yeah, quickly. Really quickly. I mean, think about that. The Denver Broncos has been a great franchise. you know. And look, Washington is a heritage franchise. Sure. I mean, it's, it's, oh, you yeah. know, it's one of the yeah. original uh, football teams and and – but the Denver Broncos have a lot of familiarity with their stadium, the fan base is there, the positivity. And with Daniel Schneider, there's not a lot of positivity that surrounds the Washington franchise. So there's going to be a, a lot of change in Washington as things move forward with new ownership. And hopefully it happens because if the sale doesn't happen, there's a problem because Daniel Schneider – uh, is not well-liked by his peers in the National Football League right now. And I think most of the ownership in the National Football League is quietly wishing that he would sell the team today. Lamar Jackson News, Ravens GM Eric DaCosta said that, quote, Lamar's in our plans and our feelings about Lamar have not changed one bit since the end of the season. That was, in quote, at the Odell Beckham press conference. Or Beckham said that, Today, the goal was to come here and have that possibility to play with him. There were no promises made of that happening, he said, Odell said. But uh, it's not really new news. There's just a new soundbite or two. That's it. Well, credit to the Ravens, first off, that they had this press conference to announce the, the signing of Odell Beckham Jr. But they make their head coach and general manager available for all questions which is the classy way to go about business in Baltimore or in any, if any NFL franchise wants to take a lesson in the right way to do things is to allow the media to ask questions of OBJ, but then also of Eric DaCosta and Harbaugh about the situation with Lamar Jackson. So credit to the, to the Ravens organization and ownership because that's, uh, that's where it starts. And still no new news on the Packers, Jets, Aaron Rodgers situation. You can tune into any other outlet what for that. What a circus. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, I wish that they would just get that resolved. I mean, it feels like that's after the draft. Like, they want to wait until that first round's over, and then they don't trade this year's first rounder. I, I just wish it would, it, it would be better for the league if that whole – mystery was settled and yeah. done and Rodgers is going to the Jets and yeah. they got the draft pick that they wanted in Green Bay. I mean, and let the league move on. They got a schedule to put together, guys. So and that's another important thing. It's coming up soon. Um out next week. You. Out next week. We'll see you at draft night then. You got it. Looking forward to it. That's 2 weeks Friday from tonight. Night. That's Jeff Logaman. I'm JP Shadrick. Thanks to our entire crew. Thanks to Trevor Sikkim of Pro Football Focus for joining us. And thank you for listening and watching us. Jaguars Happy Hour on the Jaguars Digital Network.